0: Me a go no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was going to say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways Podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. We are here with episode 101. Yes, we're past episode 100, enough of this gooey show of emotion, and we're moving on back to our normal shenanigans. I'm your host, Terry Pleknit. With me are Todd Pleknit and Zach Saltz. How's it going, guys?
2: Pretty good. Sporting the NASA sweatshirt there, Terry. Going for a Buzz Lightyear yeah. costume,
1: I see. So so this is this is like this cool hoodie I've got where the whole thing looks like Neil Armstrong's suit. So it's it's pretty it's pretty sweet. I like it.
2: Nice. It's kind of like the scene in *This Is Spinal Tap* when uh, uh, Nigel is wearing the the shirt with the green bones on it, and it's like this is an exact replica of my skeleton. And then the guy says, "Oh, but but not the colors, right?" And he says, "Ah, but that's the thing—the colors too." <laughs>
1: that makes no sense yeah never mind. i love spinal
0: tap <laughs> i also like how we start out our second 100 episodes with a quote from home alone two good job terry
1: yeah, yeah yeah no problem no problem i whatever i can do whatever i can do uh all right well uh let's uh let's get into this make sure that you uh subscribe rate review we're on apple Podcasts, we're on stitcher we're on spotify we're on pandora we are also now on YouTube. Uh, the, uh, we're getting our audio post on there in, uh, in different snippets. Uh, that, and that's actually growing pretty quick. Um, Adam is the one that is uh, managing the YouTube account. He sent me some of the comments that have popped up on there. Uh, let's see here. There were some good ones here. Uh, someone commented on, on Todd's uh, review of Next. Next. And, and said, holy cats, this show, lol. I actually didn't hate this movie, but I will say that I totally forgot about it. Philip K. Dick honestly writes some great stuff, so I'm always down to watch any of his adaptations. So that's good, that's good. Uh, and someone else had uh, commented on our Sideways review, said it was very good, very good movie review. And then uh, we've also got some comments here uh looking at uh at daily notes and uh great to see adam back uh making uh making stuff and on youtube so uh make sure you're subscribing wherever you can honestly subscribe everywhere just subscribe on apple podcast and stitcher and pandora i mean just subscribe everywhere because it helps us out uh so uh make sure you find us everywhere uh everywhere i just mentioned it's a long list i don't want to say it again all right (laughs) zach what are you drinking
2: I'm drinking out of the fabulous Free State Brewery from LFK. I'm drinking the uh, Alleyoop Dunkel Lager, which I believe I drank about four weeks ago. So that probably says uh, something about my drinking habits. Still in the fridge. Very nice. Very nice. Gonna need a bunch of these this week for Thanksgiving.
1: Oh, there, yes. There you go. Todd, what do you got?
0: Uh, I'm drinking from the Oxfordshire brewing uh the ridgeway brewing in oxfordshire uk it's called santa's butt winter porter and it's got <laughs> santa's butt on the bottle and that's why i bought that's... it and it's actually really <laughs> thick and really smooth it's 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 a good beer
1: oh yeah a holiday porter that's going be that's about as good as you can get right there awesome well i have i i went and got my uh, my grenade filled and so I've got my grenade here from Ridge Walker, and uh, but it's not a Ridge Walker beer. This is out of Boneyard Brewing in Bend, Oregon. It is their notorious Triple IPA, eleven point five ABVs on this bad boy. So uh, I am really looking forward to it. It is super smooth too. Super smooth. It's gonna be good. Nice. It's gonna be good. And Todd, you need to look up, look up the logo for Born uh, for Boneyard Brewery. Because it will just kind of make you sad for uh, because it resembles a certain black shirt defense that r- forgot to show up yesterday.
0: Yeah. We don't talk about that.
1: Nope. Someone asked me today, it's like, did Nebraska play yesterday? I can't remember. And I said, not- no, they didn't. <laughs>
0: you should have said, not really. <laughs>
1: they, yeah. They really. Yeah. It's like, oh, I forgot they played. I said, so did they. <laughs> Uh, yes, we're we're recording on uh, November twenty second, three p.m. Uh, Pacific time. It is my wife's birthday. Shout out, happy birthday, Cassie! Um, all right, uh, let's get into what we've been watching, and I'm gonna start with Zach. What have you been watching?
2: Alright, so this week I watched um, the official submission of Mexico for Best International Film at the 2020 Oscars. It is a film on Netflix called I'm No Longer Here. Now, I do have to preface that there have been so many movies with such a similar title. I'm not here. I'm not there. I was never really here. You were never really there. You can count on me your friends and neighbors, I don't know, it all kind of morphs into one at some point. So I actually like the Spanish title a little bit more, Ya No Estoy Aquí, and I will henceforth be referring to it as that. I will try, at least. Anyway, um, this is uh, the film uh, uh, from uh, Fernando Frias. Uh, I've never seen any of his films before. Um, But this is a film that is uh, set in Monterrey, Mexico, about a uh, young teenager by the name of Ulysses. And Ulysses is very fond of a dance style called uh, Cumbria, I believe is the name of it. Um, which is sort of like a, a youth subculture in Mexico with this very like uh, distinctive music. Um, it's called Cumbia Rebajada, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering it, I'm not a native Spanish speaker. Anyway, he sort of, he sort of lives on the outskirts a little bit, and there's definitely some gang components to it, but really all this guy wants to do is just stand on a street corner and dance with his friends, and he wears kind of baggy clothing, and then through a series of sort of mishaps and misunderstandings with a rival gang, he, uh, has to fend for his life and flee from Monterey and go to the United States, particularly, um, I believe it's Brooklyn that he goes to where he kind of seeks refuge um, and meets some people there the movie's told in a non-linear chronology so it sometimes jumps back and forth between the monterey scenes and the new york city scenes and i do have to be honest that it was a little bit confusing trying to figure out um what was in the present and what was a flashback um i almost feel like i want to revisit the movie and, and look a, knowing what happens in the movie i think that the chronology would make maybe a little bit more sense so it is jumbled but i think it maybe is trying to owe to Inuritu or something like that there's a little bit of a hyper, hyperlink thing going on but this is a really enjoyable movie um, it's definitely about a kid who you know feels um, like uh, very disenchanted by the world around him and seeks refuge in this dance style and i think the best part of the movie is this it for me was the scenes in new york city in the present when he strikes up this relationship he doesn't speak any english and he strikes up this relationship with this 16-year-old Chinese-American girl named Ling, who doesn't speak any Spanish. And so their their friendship, which almost sometimes borders on romance, but really stays pretty pretty friendly, is um, you know kind of looking at a dictionary, trying to um, use body language to uh, signify you know what they're trying to communicate. It's it's really actually kind of a sweet um, relationship that that develops. Uh, this is a solid three-star movie that might go up a little bit higher. Like I said, if I were to rewatch it and make a little bit more sense of of some of the plot features. Um, really likeable cast, some great music, and actually if you watch the whole movie at the very end of it, there is a really cool music video that has all the actors from the movie that perform in it. So um, I feel like it's sort of a crowd-pleasing movie that um, American audiences might get into because there are so many scenes set in New York City and may have a good shot of, of winning um, Best International Film in what seems to be a fairly uh, open category this year.
1: All right. And you said that's on Netflix.
2: Yes, I. Uh, ya no estoy aquí, or I'm no longer here. Don't watch. I'm. I was never really there. The Walking Phoenix one. That one sucked.
1: By, by the way, as soon as you said you were no longer going to refer to it by its uh, English title, I was like, "He's just never going to say the title again." And then, and you didn't. That is you that were, is my cultural
2: ignorance, end. but um, I apologize. <laughs> but don't you feel like most foreign movies, we should just you know, it's so, how American is it? Just always refer to them by the English translation, like you know, let's let's you know be cosmopolitan for once and respectful. So.
1: Well, I mean, uh, uh, other nations refer to their movies by their nation's translation of it. In fact, you get, you get some really good translations of it when, you, depending on the movie. Um, okay, anyways, I'm going to go next. Uh, so I watched uh, a movie, all right, 2010, going back 10 years. Uh, it was nominated for one Oscar, and that Oscar was sound editing. Do you know what it was? U571. No, I've <laughs> I already watched that, and that was 20 years ago one oscar and it was for sound editing nominee
2: oh i'm sorry this was 10 years ago 10 years ago i'm sorry i didn't get that
0: um i have no idea
1: I'll, i'll give you a hint it is a sequel so i had to go watch the original first so i could watch both so i could talk about the sequel oh iron man 2 no
0: no transformers 2 (laughs) <laughs> no it was it Toy was a, 2. more of a
1: reboot you could say than a sequel it is tron legacy oh,
0: oh. Sound so editing, i right? had never
1: yeah it had one oscar nomination for sound editing and so i had never seen tron the 1982 movie so i went had to go back first and watch tron so i'm going to talk about both of them a little bit um so tron 1982 it actually was nominated for two oscars uh, that was nominated for Costume Design and Sound. And um, I, I I watched Tron, and it's a little rough around the edges. The script isn't fully developed, but the ideas of it are so creative and inventive. That was a really fun watch. It's about a guy who ends up getting sucked into a computer. He's trying to, like, hack a computer, and he gets sucked into the computer and becomes... Like his own computer program, working through the computer, and uh, and uh, that's played by Jeff Bridges, which is really interesting. I you know you never knowing what we know about Jeff Bridges now and how he's basically the dude. Thinking of him as a computer nerd hacker guy makes absolutely no sense. But um, but it's it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's a little rough around the edges. Um, it could have been it could have been a lot better if it had. Tightened up the script a little bit and and really kind of developed the. It felt like it didn't really develop what was going on with it that much. And if it had, um, it would have been really really great. Um, As it is, it's a movie that I could see myself rewatching over and over and over again because of how little is explained. It's I feel like it's one that you'll get something new out of every time you watch it. So it's got that going for it. I give the I give Tron the original Tron three stars. So then we get to Tron Legacy, which is, like I said, it's a reboot slash sequel where um, Jeff Bridges' character has disappeared and his grown son is uh, is the main character played by Garrett Hedlund, who, I mean, whatever happened to Garrett Hedlund? I mean, they were really trying to make him something back in, in 2010. This is the second 2010 movie that was nominated for an Oscar that I've watched starring Garrett Hedlund. Anyways, uh, the other was Country Strong. Um, so he ends up, he's... Kind of his own computer hacker genius type, and um, he figured he finds out that his dad may have actually gotten sucked back into his, uh, his computer program that he was developing, um, and ends up, um, the son, his name is Sam, uh, Sam ends up going in and um, into the computer program, too, and trying to find his dad and rescue him and bring him home um the obviously the graphics are a lot better that whole side of it is is better the script is much uh, is much better written however the story isn't as good it's a little too what the the edge that made the first one great is missing from this one because it's a little too disney a little too hollywoodized um uh, but uh jeff bridges is in it again um, not only as an older version of himself, but as a de-aged version. They use the same technology that they used in Benjamin Button to de-age Jeff Bridges. And man has the de-aging technology come a long way from <laughs> Benjamin Button and Tron Legacy to what they did in The Irishman last year. Um, but anyways, this was a better told story, but the story wasn't as good. I'm giving the, But I'm giving this one three stars too. If I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the first one to watch again. But both of them are a lot of fun. They're just fun action movies that have a really creative premise that you don't really see that often. So, uh, so I was really into them. Have you guys seen either of those?
0: I have. Uh, yeah, I, I like the first one, too. Uh, I, I do, I do. I, it's sort of like Blade Runner to Blade Runner 2049. Like there, you have the idea and the bare bones, and then you have the uh, like visual effects extravaganza as the uh, as the reboot. And uh, yeah, like you said, it didn't it didn't work as well. It's a little bit hollow. But uh, I remember watching that in the theater, uh, Tron Legacy, and it was it, it was pretty breathtaking visually. But other than that, I mean, I don't think it's that that great.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it was fun. It was fun. And again, the 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 creativity of the of just the premise and the universe and the storyline. That I, I was reading. Apparently, there were supposed to be sequels to it. But then it didn't do anything, so they didn't. So like, there was like even an uncredited little cameo from Killian Murphy, who was supposed to play a prominent role in the sequel, and then it never happened. But um, it's worth a watch. I think it's worth a watch. So that's what I've been up to. Todd, what did you watch this week?
0: Uh, so uh, the other day, I, I got a text from Adam, and he sent me the link to the the next review that he posted on YouTube. With and it starts out with the caption, "Despite all my rage, I am still just Nicolas Cage." So naturally, when, when I got that text, I was watching my Nicolas Cage movie, Rage, which it was just <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. I had like looked over my shoulder when I got that text. It was so weird. Uh, it is a 2014 movie directed by Paco Cabezas. And our beloved Nicolas Cage, he plays Paul McGuire, who is a reformed criminal whose daughter gets kidnapped. So he naturally just gets his old, old gang back together to try to track down the perpetrators and seek vengeance on them. And I can get behind that on paper. The setup is amazing, and so even though what you're watching is probably bad, you have to sit through because greatness is somewhat possible. Uh, Nichols Cage is playing some sort of a cross between his character in Snake Eyes and Memphis Reigns, so which I'm realizing that Gone to 60 Seconds is like the most influential movie of the last 20 years in, in his career because he uh, keeps replicating a lot of that same persona. The movie has... A lot of parallels to like Ray Donovan with like the past life uh, affecting your current family, and like the those bad Russians and the the shady crew of his trusted allies. Uh, and we get this interesting blend of Nicolas Cage outbursts because it's like a grieving, raging Nicolas Cage. So he gives he definitely has some interesting freakouts. The movie, overall, it has some, like, weird camera angles. Cabezas is kind of over-directing throughout the movie. It does have somewhat of an interesting cast. It's got, like, Rachel Nichols and Peter Stormell is in there, and along with, a uh, Danny Glover. The ending is sort of disappointing. It kind of betrays the audience. It's almost like Mystic River in a way. Uh, in this setting, it kind of sucks to see that. You know, I mean, it just seemed like a new ending because everything leading up to it was so different. I, I don't know. It, I gave it two stars. Uh... It's my number 58 Nicolas Cage movie, putting it between The Frozen Ground and Valley Girl. Okay.
1: Okay. That's awesome. Rage. Good times. Yeah,
0: I, mean, I figured that, I mean, that's as Nicolas Cage of a title as you're going to get.
1: Yeah. Now the question is, Todd, are for next week, are you going to uh, to shell out the rental money to uh, watch Jiu-Jitsu?
0: All right. I mean, I said I was going to, so I, I guess I kind of have to.
1: I'm, I'm looking here. It looks like it, it's like $6.99 to rent on Prime right now. Some, so somewhere around there. So just letting you know, it's out now. It came out this weekend.
0: So I'll give it a shot.
1: Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll look forward to that with great anticipation. Um,
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Yes, yes, this podcast is now quoted Home Alone 2 and The Phantom Menace. You are welcome. Um,
0: And Spinal Tap and Sideways.
1: (laughs) And Spinal Tap and, well, Sideways is, is, you know, you you just kind of get, that's a given, that's a given. Okay, so uh, that's what we've been watching. Now uh, we're going to get into our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all
2: this is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it.
1: Movie reviews. And for this, we are looking at a new um, Hulu original movie that uh, came out this weekend. And it is called Run. Am I a burden?
0: What? Hey, what is going on?
1: do everything for me it's not fair I'm your mom it's my job to take care of you when you need me understand this right now, but I am doing what I know is best for you. I know that I've scared you, but I will spend every minute of our lives making sure you never feel that way again. This movie is starring Sarah Paulson and uh, Kira Allen uh, in her first movie. And it's written and directed by Anish uh, Shaganti, who is the one who directed Searching a couple years ago with John Cho. Very creative movie. I never saw that one, but I was always intrigued by it. And I know a lot of you have, uh, that have seen it have said really good things about it. Anyways, so Run uh, is uh, focuses on Chloe, a 17-year-old girl who is applying to colleges, getting, getting excited to move out and be on her own. Um, she has a lot of health issues as, uh, she is, uh, she is a paraplegic. She is, um, she has debilitating asthma and rashes and just a whole bunch of health issues. And her mother takes care of her and her mother is, uh, is Sarah Paulson. And, um, and slowly but surely, you start to realize that maybe her mom doesn't have her best interests in mind, and and things start to turn a little bit. Um, this movie, it's kind of like a mother-daughter version of Misery, is really what it boils down to. Um, and I loved it. I This movie was so much fun. It had so many cool twists and turns that uh, you didn't necessarily see coming, and even if you did see them coming, they were still fascinating to watch it go. Um, I, uh, I thought Sarah Paulson was, was great. This is like, I mean, it's, it, there's a reason why she has spent so much time on American horror stories is she can really pass off that creepy vibe very well. Um, and Kira Allen, first time out, she is really good. Uh, she, she gives an incredible performance as well. Um, I really enjoyed it. I liked, uh, I liked how it was going. I felt like almost it, it went on at first it felt like it's going on a little too long like there were a couple spots where i'm like it could end right here oh no it's not gonna end right here oh it could end right here but then when you get that final scene it's like okay that's why you didn't end yet and that was totally worth it um i'm giving it three and a half stars uh a lot of fun one of the more uh one of the more fascinating fun movies that uh i've seen in a little while uh let's go to zach next zach what'd you think
2: yeah so um I was a, one of the aforementioned really big fans of Anish uh shaganti's first film first feature length film searching um it didn't quite make my top list of that year, but I brought it up in a few of our other podcast episodes um so I went into this movie with with pretty high anticipation I don't think it's quite as good as searching, but um I did enjoy quite quite a bit of it um yeah the, that's actually a really good way of thinking of it mother mother daughter misery I sort of thought of it more like. Well, well, yeah, that, 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 I'm not going to top that. That, 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 that <laughs> never going to top it. Um, that was a really good comparison. Yeah. So, um, basically, you know, um, I agree with a, a lot of what Terry says. Uh, I think this movie has um, a really cool premise. That once it kind of gets going, it's very Hitchcockian. Rear Window actually was the movie that I was sort of thinking of. Mm, yeah, um, and. Um, not just the, the, that the character is paralyzed, but also that she suspects these, you know, um, very, you know, uh, 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 bad things that are going on with the, char- with the characters kind of around her. Um, and Sarah Paulson, I mean, is, is, could you think of a better casting of a mother who actually might be mentally insane and uh, evil? I mean, that's that's perfect casting right there. Um, I do have to say, though, I do think the movie is a little over the top at times, particularly in the second half. There's a, Without getting too much into spoilers, there's a whole, like, backstory that the movie kind of reveals about the Sarah Paulson character that was really unnecessary. I don't think you needed any of the background, if you know what I'm talking about, if you've seen the movie. Like, that was very kind of silly, melodramatic, and I really kind of took away from the rest of the story. Like the scene where, um, you know, one of the characters finds this treasure trove of information that explains everything. My goodness, I've seen that in a million movies. Um, Anish should have done better than that. I also thought the music was over the top at times. And then there is also a sort of unforgivable moment when a character pulls out a first aid bag and then it, there's a secret compartment with a gun. Oh my gosh, give me a break. That was very, very silly. However, I'm giving this movie thumbs up really for three reasons. Number one, I'm giving it thumbs up because there is a sequence in this movie where Kira Allen crawls through a house. And it is a remarkable sequence. I mean, later in, on this episode, we're going to talk about her favorite scenes from the decade. Already, there's a front-runner for my favorite scene of the 2010s, or 2020s, excuse me. It is uh, absolutely, incredibly made. And if there's any, you know, just watch the, that 10-minute sequence. It's uh, amazing. The second reason I'll recommend it is for Kira Allen. Um, and there's authenticity, because she is someone who uses a, a wheelchair. And I was reading about this movie, and this is the first major movie in 70 years to have a protagonist... Um, that actually, you know, is an actor who uses a wheelchair, who's in a wheelchair. So I really appreciate that. And then the last thing I'm going to give it a thumbs up for is, I think this movie has an awesome last scene, and in particular, the last shot is really great. I was prepared to be like, okay, yeah, it's okay, two and a half star movie. But when that, that last scene came on, and there's a last image of it, I was like, holy crap, that's a great way to end this movie. So, thumbs up. Yeah, uh,
1: you're... you're uh... Your drawbacks, I, I see exactly what you're saying, and I, I, I think I kind of agree that you didn't necessarily need that plot twist that it throws in, and why in the world was that, that you know, that reveal box even <laughs> existing? I mean, that that that, that, that is one yeah. thing that's like, okay, when that's it, kind of a head whenever scratching moment. Whenever
2: I see something like that in movies, I'm reminded of Colin Farrell in Minority Report in that scene when, you know, all the pictures of, of, of uh, Tom Cruise's son are on the bed, and he's like... This is what we call in the police business an orgy of evidence. Do you know how many times I've seen an orgy of evidence? Zero. And that's that's true in real life. You don't have orgies of evidence like that. So I wish they, the filmmaker could have done something a little bit more creative there. But on the whole, the movie is still enjoyable and a thumbs up.
1: Right. And it's one of those moments that, yeah, but you go along with it because the movie up to that point is so much fun. Yes. All right. Todd, are you in agreement? Are we thrice approved?
0: Uh... Not quite. Um, okay. Well, I will. I will say I agree with uh, some of what you guys said. Uh, the, uh, the the comparison to Misery, I, I thought the same thing. It's def- it definitely feels like a Stephen King adaptation. And that scene that Zach was talking about, where she's crawling through the house, I I did love the scene. But I think that scene would have been amazing to experience in a theater because like. I don't yes. think it works as well when you're not enraptured in that scene with a, a giant audience. Well, I mean, she's just, like, crawling around the house. There's this, this pulsating intensity. It does not work as well on the small screen as it would have on a big screen. But uh, Anisha Ganti, I think, is an interesting director. Because with this, in Searching, he's made these, like, really intense, dark thrillers. And didn't make them feel lame, but maintained a PG-13 rating. And that, that's really unique. You don't really see that a whole lot anymore. Especially with movies with this dark of uh, of subject matter. And I like that he plays a lot with technology. He makes the stories really current and not like ones that could get lost in time and be made in any era. They seem like vital and alive coming out at the current time. And I just feel like there's such a small amount of characters and such a limited setting. Not a whole lot really happens. It's not a movie that's really easy to review. And i think a warmer presence than paulson would have actually been a lot better at, with this movie because with paulson you can kind of see where the movie's going because you i mean you can kind of decipher through things but like if it was like a kelly mcdonald or something like that someone who's more of an innocent presence on the surface it probably m- would make the movie a lot more easy to be uh uh be uh, surprised by the twists and stuff and i it's definitely not shot in the tri-cities But damn, there's a lot of, like, U-Dub stuff to try to trick you to think it's actually in Pasco. I mean, I know Anisha who was born (laughs) in Redmond, but, like, man, that was not the Tri-Cities area at all. Uh, Also, I thought the supporting characters were all complete incompetent morons. Like, I mean, it it makes those scenes away from the house just, I mean, less than believable and, like, mildly annoying at best. Like, 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 the mailman, like, I mean, what the hell was that character? It was just a terrible scene. But yeah, I think what, what's interesting about with this and searching, you get two opposite spectrums of like the extent that parents will go to to protect their children. and it shows like how much perspective matters in like uh, dictating whether that is being portrayed as admirable and sympathetic or like monstrous and domineering. And it, it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, first two movies for him to make. And it has sort of the trashiness of a Nicholas Cage movie I reviewed, uh, Inconceivable. This meal one is more ground in reality to an extent, but I can't fully recommend it still, because I, I do have some drawbacks. I, I'm giving it two and a half stars. It really was, like, uh, almost tipping toward three, but, uh, there were too, there were too many things that were just pulling it back.
1: Man, I thought we were gonna be good. I thought we had it. I thought we I even
2: love the, I love the 89 minute running length. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. How many directors would indulge on that and go 20 minutes too long? Searching was like that, too. Searching was very lean and compact, economical. There was nothing extra to it. Can we at least all agree, even though I understand Todd's points, I think actually he has pr- pretty valid points, but can we all agree that Anish Chaganti is a director to, to like watch for? Like, He might be an Oscar winner in the next 10 years. I mean, he is a very awesome, accomplished filmmaker who's um, apparently made a lot of short films, um, and... I don't know. I think he's like bursting on the scene and I'm excited to see what he comes up with next. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I, th- I think um yeah, next 10 years uh, two big names that you're going to be hearing about a lot are Anish Ganti and like Ari Aster. Like those two you could see rising kind of at a similar at a similar rate.
0: Anish Ganti only 29 years old. So he's like our Damien that... Chazelle kind of
1: He's he's like the the horror thriller uh, genres. Damien Chazelle is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Well, that is that is run almost thrice approved. I'm giving it three and a half. Zach, did you give it three? Yes. And Todd's giving it two and a half. Uh, it's on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, it's it's a like like we said, it's an hour and a half. It's an easy watch, um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, definitely uh, definitely check it out. Okay, we're going to move on from that and move into our power rankings.
0: You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse.
1: I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings.
0: Not including Fargo.
1: Can't choose Fargo ever again. It has been a few weeks since we've done a power ranking. And uh, yeah, it's been almost exactly a month since our last power ranking. And when we did our last one, Zach won our game of guessing what Adam's list was going to be when we did our, um, our worst Roger Ebert takes. So he got to pick our category, and he picked an all-decade category. We're running out of time to do all-decade lists. Zach, what are we doing?
2: We're doing best scenes from
1: the 2010s. Best scenes from the 2010s. This is going to be a fun list, I think. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um... This was a hard list to, to like, narrow down, and uh, I know Adam even texted me today and said this was, like, an impossible list to make, because there are so many good ones you need to shout out.
0: I even have honorable mentions for Adam. Like, I have eight honorable <laughs> mentions for Adam. This is how hard this was.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, well, Todd, we're going to start with you. Uh, give us your number five best scene of the 2010s. Uh,
0: my number five, it's a scene... It's really a scene that I've been wanting to mention on this podcast, but I never really had the opportunity. And it is the house party scene in 21 Jump Street. Because it is, like, the perfect house party sequence. Like, a little fight breaks out, you know. One of them's so drunk he doesn't even get uh, realize that he gets stabbed in the back. And Jonah Hill's like, when did I get stabbed? That's awesome! And then they all just cheer. And then when they're trying to pull out the knife, like, he, they put a lemon gag in his mouth. And they pour vodka on the wound as, like, LMFAO, like, slowly builds up. And he's like, "Oh, let me, let's okay, let's take some shots." And then he goes bottoms up with a fifth of alcohol. He's like, "Party rock is in the house tonight!" Starts blasting it to a crescendo. It absolutely puts you in the mood to party. You cannot turn the movie off after that. And it's like the best scene that uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller ever ever made. It was a uh, it, it is like the the epitome of why Twenty One Jump Street is such a great movie.
1: Very nice, very nice. I still have not seen Twenty One Jump Street. I need to
0: watch that. That is a shame.
1: It is. And especially, it's it's Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And I love everything else that they've done. So I need to... I mean, I even I even like Solo more than most people do. So um, I, I need to watch
0: that. Yeah, that All should right, just I'm be on, on your next. list just out of respect. Not, not, I don't even uh, have yeah. to assign that to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm going next. Number five on my list. Um, this was a... Like I said, this was a hard list to make. And I tried to kind of give it um i have a lot of different stuff represented on here um and one of the things i that that like defining scene is what makes good movies great i feel a lot of times or makes great movies masterpieces and so that that was kind of what i was going for is that that scene that that makes the movie that that when you think about oh that's the movie that has that scene in it um so number five i wanted to have um i mean The 2010s was kind of dominated by the MCU, dominated by Marvel. I had to have one representation of it on here. And there were a couple candidates for it. And I went with the Avengers Assemble in Avengers Endgame. Where Steve Rogers, Captain America, standing there on his own, about to take on an entire army by himself. Because that's the man of virtue that he is. And he has to keep fighting until he can't fight anymore. And then everyone shows up and and just that scene that moment i mean everyone knew it was going to happen you knew something like that was going to happen but even still when it happens i remember sitting in the theater and it gave me chills and it gives me chills just thinking about that moment of i mean captain america he's the best I, i all you iron man fans yeah he's great but captain america is the best and to have him in the center of that moment and then all of a sudden everyone shows up the way they did and uh, and and they all have his back. That was that was pretty awesome. So I have to put that number five on my list.
2: Yeah, it, it was an emotional moment for everyone in the audience. People started standing up and cheering. It actually woke me up.
1: Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, well, that that's an, um, your emotional reaction, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it was almost my favorite scene in the movie. After Thor, um, slamming down some more beers. That was my. That's the scene I thought you were gonna choose. <laughs>
1: Well, and, and then, yeah, I mean, you could do that. You could do, you know, Captain America picking up the hammer. That's a, that's a great moment, too. Um, anyways, that, that, that's my number five. Zach, you're next.
2: All right, so when I first made this list, um, or when I first decided this list, I texted Todd that the first scene I thought of was from a movie that um, he liked and I didn't. And I actually had a really hard time coming up with uh, this list um, because, you know, we could have just chosen every scene from Uncut Gems, right? But um, I decided to make my list only for movies that I actually didn't like. Isn't Uncut Gems no
0: longer qualify for our list?
1: Yeah, I think that's what we decided.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably fair. So I decided just, um, you know, just, I mean, extracting some parts of movies that um, on a whole maybe didn't work for me or maybe I thought were overrated. Um, but these individual scenes still work. And I, I did not choose any ending scenes because I feel like that's sort of a, that's sort of a, a cheap. So um, my number five scene, I went with um, the scene from Silver Linings Playbook, a movie that I thought was overrated but had a few really good scenes in him. And the scene that I'm thinking of comes sort of toward the end of the movie when Robert De Niro's character is convinced, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, that Jennifer Lawrence has brought nothing but bad juju to the Philadelphia Eagles' epic 2008 season. And she comes into the scene, and frankly, I think this is the scene that won her her Oscar because it's incredible. She goes game by game. Every uh, week that the Eagles played and basically talks about how she was with the Bradley Cooper character, you know, when they beat the Seattle Seahawks 14 to 13 and when they beat the San Francisco 49ers 41 to 23. I was with blah, blah, blah. And and to watch. So that's great acting there. But also to watch Robert De Niro's reaction. And then he says, Hmm hmm, you know what? You know what? She's got a point. I'm going to have to rethink this. I think every uh, superstitious sports fan watches that scene and is like, yeah, you know, she's making some pretty good arguments there. And uh, she's fantastic in that scene. It makes me wish the movie was a little better on a whole. But um, just a great, great scene for any sports fan and any Jennifer Lawrence fan. Pretty memorable stuff. That is,
1: that is a great scene. That is a great scene. I did. I w- I thought you were going to go with the dance At the end, but... uh, but No, that was not... I could not
2: quite go with that scene. That was a little bit too stupid to actually uh, like. But I do find myself... See, that's another thing with this list is... I I thought of scenes that I sometimes go back to watching on YouTube. And I have to say, I have gone back to that scene several times on YouTube because it is quite funny to rewatch.
1: See, I thought you were going to pick that scene just because of how much they celebrated getting, what, like a four or a five on their dance out of ten. Yeah, but that see, that would, that
2: would mean that I liked the movie, and I didn't oh, like the movie. Yeah, I guess See, so. I don't, and I'm also trying to stay away from scenes at the end of the movie, so
0: that, yeah. I like uh, the I where, where scene he, is the where they scene. go out the first time, and he orders cereal, so she orders tea, so she doesn't feel like a moron ordering a meal. Like yeah,
2: that's not a terrible scene either. That's that's a good pick. I also kind of like the scene right before that, where they go to like um, her sister's house or something like that, and uh, it's just a very awkward first date because he's wearing his stupid Deshaun Jackson jersey um, to a party. That that scene's pretty funny. I don't know. Maybe we should just rewatch that movie. I don't know. Maybe I was too harsh on it twelve or eight years ago.
0: <laughs> I've only seen it once. <laughs> I'm kind of with I'm kind of with you,
1: all right Todd number four
0: all right well the reason why this list was made was because Zach texted me about a scene in a movie that he didn't like and I said five of my top 25 scenes of the last decade would be from that movie and I still think that I'm putting one of them at number four it is the Wolf of Wall Street and is the scene where uh, with the uh, the lemon coudes and I could I mean <laughs> I, because the second scene by the way mentioned today about someone crawling on the ground a lot. But, uh, like, this scene is awesome. Like, watching the Quailies take its effect, he starts slurring his speech, he goes, you know, he skips the drool phase and goes straight to the cerebral palsy phase, which he didn't even know existed, when he crawls back, like, down the steps, and falls down the steps to his Lamborghini, and he drives home, but totally didn't hit anything on the way back. Uh, but my favorite part of the scene is when he gets back home, and, like, uh, Donnie's on the phone... And, uh, he, and Jordan keeps saying, screaming, like, get off the phone, the FBI, and so he grabs the cord, and Donnie's like, hey, I'm on the phone, <laughs> like, I'm, that part just always cracks me up, like, that, that scene is an absolute riot, and, and, like, then he, like, stress eats some lunch meat, and he has to, like, choke him out, it, it's, it was such a weird <laughs> scene, I bet Leah and, Leo and, uh, Jonah had, like, the best, time filming that scene even though it's like an oddly serious scene like that that is like them doing their thing i mean and that's the it seems like that is why they were both nominated for oscars like the wolf of wall street is one of the best movies of the decade and that's my favorite scene
1: It, it definitely showed that you know leo had some comedy chops to him i considered several leo scenes one of them's on my honorable mentions that is not one of the ones i considered though that's too bad yeah All right, number four on my list is uh, it comes from a best picture winner that I don't think has been mentioned on any of our twenty tens best of lists so far, and uh, the scene I'm going with is the speech in the King's speech. Um, It's it's such a beautiful scene. It's never have you been so like literally hanging on every word that the guy says and, um, and and just him being in this in this booth all by himself with Jeffrey Rush, um, all you know everything's dark as he's as he's trying to work through the scene, remembering all the all the coping mechanisms, all the all the things he, he has, the triggers to, to help him get through every word because if he stutters at any point, you know they're gonna see weakness as he's you know declaring war and entering World War Two for his country and trying to be that pillar of leadership that they need. Um, I think there are several scenes in that movie that people point to of what won Colin Firth the Oscar, and but I think this was by far the best and and it was. Um, I know Zach tries is trying to stay away from ending scenes. Um, low-key the rest of mine are kind of all ending scenes but this was (laughs) this was this was a great scene and it was the whole movie was building up to this moment and it paid off everything it needed to so it's number four on my list
0: yeah we could do a whole list of like climactic scenes or something like that but i mean that that that's a good choice though
2: yeah, the problem I have with I agree with you Terry, that's probably the best part of the movie. The problem for me is that the same song is playing in that scene as the song in the scene from Mr. Holland's Opus that we've talked about, my favorite <laughs> scene where he talks about how Beethoven couldn't hear and was going deaf. Like, so for me that scene is just derivative and it doesn't work. But you know, whatever.
1: I thought you were going to say it was The Beatles beautiful boy playing in the background, but not Oh, well that's a great scene too. Re- beautiful beautiful beautiful. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Cole was the biggest douchebag in that movie. I'd stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, or, no argument here.
1: <laughs> All right, Zach, number four.
2: Number four is, uh, believe it or not, um, the same number four as Todd had. It is Wolf of Wall Street. I'm choosing a different scene, though. I'm going with a scene sort of toward the beginning of the movie that I've returned. I mean, this is kind of the other real thing about th- this list, is these are just scenes I watch on YouTube a lot. So uh, the scene from Wolf of Wall Street... On YouTube that I return to the most is the scene with Matthew McConaughey. You could argue that maybe it's more of a sequence than a scene because it does last about 10 minutes. It's almost interminable in its length because it's so uncomfortable to watch in a lot of ways. But it is when young, naive, idealistic Leonardo DiCaprio has gotten hired uh, at the firm and... uh, uh, who takes him to lunch? But the worst possible person ever to take him to lunch, Matthew McConaughey, who you know takes drugs. Um, and what what does he say, Todd? He, he he like he tells the waiter to like bring him a, a dry martini every thirty minutes until they pass out from being drunk.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah. It's like it's like every ten minutes, and then every uh, and then every five minutes after that until one of them passes out or something like that. Yeah.
2: Those I mean that scene. It, well, exactly. I will, okay, so like, you know, they talk about uh, how, you know, the, the only way that Matthew McConaughey can get through his day is through masturbation and drugs. And they also talk about how Wall Street is basically just an illusion a fugazi, a fuguzi, a fur, who cares? Um, and uh, it, it's just, it, it, it sets up the whole rest of the movie. I, it almost ruins the rest of the movie because it's such a good scene. Like, I remember watching that scene thinking, oh my freaking god, this is gonna be an awesome movie. Like, he is setting up how Leo's whole trajectory is going to turn into, you know, this character who is just a shell of himself and just uh, this awful human being. And I guess that is eventually what happens to Leo, but I don't know. The rest of the movie, by comparison, seems almost prosaic, as Miles would say. Like, that scene just sets up, uh, you know, uh, th- th- this great relationship. Maybe it's because it's the only time we ever really see matthew mcconaughey in the rest of the movies
0: you do see him in one other scene when it actually crashes but yeah yeah obviously it's a great scene it's a damn iconic scene too like i love that scene
1: yeah it, it's it, it's the most memorable scene most iconic scene of the movie for sure okay todd Number three.
0: My number three is the very first scene in a movie, and it's a scene a movie that Zach and I like a lot. It's from Thunder Road, and it is the funeral eulogy scene. And you start the movie off like that. You get to know everything you need to know about Officer Jim. Like he rambles on about stories about his mom and how she loved listening to the boss and and Thunder Road. And he, she would sing it to him as a kid. So he decides he's going to do like a song and dance thing. But the CD player malfunctions, so he just like breaks down. And he but so he starts dancing and singing without the music playing and it, it just like creates one of the most fascinating characters and one of the most like cringe-inducing things that you that you've seen in any movie, and definitely one of the best characters of twenty tens. Like Jim Cummings is an amazing actor, and this is like the full degree of his talent is on display in this in that scene and in the movie overall. And oddly enough, I think my favorite TV scene of the whole decade was another eulogy scene. It was from Bojack Horseman giving a eulogy about his mom. But that's beside the point. The Thunder Road that first scene is amazing, and uh, it was one of the first things I thought of. I was like, "Yeah, that—that's like uh, one scene that that actually was its own short film before the movie, and uh, it, it totally fits." He just expands upon it in the movie. It's an amazing way to start the movie.
1: I've heard so many good things about that movie, and I, I've been meaning to watch it for a long time. I need to—I need to get around to that one. I will say, I was trying to find a good opening scene to put on this list. Like, what was my favorite opening scene of the of the decade? And I couldn't really think of a... Drive? I, I couldn't think of one that was, like, the the one... That, yeah, that's a good one. I would go... I'd go more Baby Driver than Drive. Um, it's but, basically the uh, same Maybe scene. Baby Driver... Yeah, maybe Baby Driver It would be my answer. But anyways, I couldn't think of one. Like, I was like... I know exactly what my favorite opening scene is of the 2000s. I know exactly what my favorite opening scene is of the 1990s. I don't know what my favorite scene is of the 2010s. Um, favorite opening scene. Okay. <laughs> Well, number three on my list um, uh, is my, uh, my animated submission. And this is uh, from Coco. Comes near the end. Um, I, there, There's so many great moments in Coco, but the one I'm going with is the one at the end when, um, when uh, uh, Miguel comes back and goes to his great-grandmother with his guitar that, where music is outlawed. Uh, his grandmother, who doesn't speak, and he sings remember me um the song that his that her father had written for her um and by the end of the song she's singing along and she starts telling stories about about him and about the family that nobody had known because they never allowed music in and miguel opened up this whole new door it is it is such i mean you can't watch that scene without getting a tear in your eye it is it is a gorgeous scene a beautiful scene and it's a beautiful song too Um, and I I just love that one. So that's my... I had to go with some sort of Pixar moment because Pixar has those moments, and so that's the one I'm picking. That's my number three.
0: Yeah, I knew that was going to be mentioned somewhere. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right, Zach, number three.
2: Okay, so my number three film is from 2013, a movie that uh, Todd really enjoyed. The movie is... Her, directed by Spike Jones. And the scene in her that I really like the most um, is the scene when Joaquin Phoenix is officially ending his marriage with Rooney Mara. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of great kind of marital battle scenes this decade, you know, in like Marriage Story and Blue Valentine and a few others. But I really like this one because of how, like, underplayed it is. Um, you know, the, the collapse of their marriage was a tragedy. We're not really sure exactly what happened. Um, Spike Jones does these really cool, like, flashes of flashbacks that uh, kind of shows their happier times when they're, like, being silly, wearing traffic cones on their heads. Um, but ultimately, the scene is really sad and sobering, and Rooney Mara kind of signs the divorce papers, and they go through this lunch sort of awkwardly, and it, of course, ends with Theodore telling her that uh, he's now dating his OS. Um, I don't know. I really like this scene, I like the way it's shot. And I just kind of like the awkwardness and uncomfort, the discomfort of the mood. And I might also add, uh, it might not even be the best breakup scene that Rooney Mara was in this decade. So there's definitely that.
1: So uh, you mentioning Marriage Story made me think that's another great opening scene. Watching them or listening to them read each other's letters. That's a great, that, that, that's another great opening scene. I'm, I'm coming up with some now. I'm coming up with some. All right. Todd, number two. Uh,
0: My number two also features Joaquin Phoenix. It is the processing scene in The Master, which Mm, is the best acted scene that I have ever seen, and I've been saying that ever since I first saw the movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix are equally insane, and they just go toe-to-toe in that scene. And, like, Hoffman's intimidating, and he's menacing, and Phoenix is vulnerable and, like, slowly breaking down. It's, like, really heartbreaking and fascinating to watch and like the story keeps changing they keep starting over, you can't blink you know, the tension builds and builds it's like watching like Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men, it's just like an act a master class in acting because they have nothing to play off of other than each other and it and it, it's just so tense and fascinating to watch these two amazing actors do that and it's one of the best scenes PTA ever did it's, yeah, I'm going with that as my number two it's sort of an obvious pick, but there it is
1: Honestly, I'm surprised that's not your number one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could have been. I have one All right,
1: other, though. Uh, okay, okay. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> number two on my list. Um, this is another, uh, another Best Picture nominee. Uh, this is from 2014. And it is the final scene of Whiplash. Um where everything's kind of been culminating, you get this idea, uh, or you know, he, he asks him to come play, and you find out that he asks him to come play in this concert just to screw him and and make it so he can never play again and never be taken seriously. And instead, Miles Teller completely takes over the entire moment and and owns that moment. And it all leads to possibly the best shot of any movie of the last decade. Uh, definitely the, be- like the best closing shot. And it's just a close-up of J.K. Simmons' eyes as you see his eyes change to a smile. You see the eyes change to a smile. And it, it, it goes back to that, you know, the worst two words in the human language are good job. And those eyes finally say good job. And he realizes what that means from him. And it, it's just... it leading up to making that shot possible makes that scene the number two of the decade for me.
0: Yeah. That, 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 was one of the ones that I was considering as well.
2: Yeah. There's several good scenes from that movie. I was also thinking, I mean, you could do the one where, you know, he slaps him on the cheek because he's going too fast and then too slow, or you could do a scene. Not where, by tempo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or you could do the scene where like uh, Miles Teller has to—I can't remember wh- what—but like he doesn't he lose his binder and then he has to drive somewhere and he gets in a car crash or something like yeah. that. Shit's pretty intense as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I was also thinking just simply the scene where they're sitting down in a bar and he ha- and you hear that famous quote of the worst two words are good job. Uh, I thought about saying using that scene too, but the that that shot makes that scene so much better. All right, Zach number two.
2: All right, my number two comes from um, a movie I know Todd loves. I don't love it as much, although I love this scene a lot, and it's probably the scene that won this actor his Oscar, and that is Manchester by the Sea. And I think you know the scene I'm talking about because, you know, I think the truth is not really a great movie, but everyone knows the one great scene from that movie is Casey Affleck in the police station, I believe a flashback scene talking about the experience of being drunk one night, accidentally leaving the the heating uh, unit on in his house, thinking he could walk to the store and then returning from the store and seeing his house on fire. Again, sorry, it's a pretty big spoiler if you haven't seen the movie, but, uh, you know, it, it it's absolutely powerful acting. And what's great about it is that Casey Affleck is so, like, monotone and focused in that scene. He just kind of looks down. He doesn't, like, inflect his, in, inflect his voice or anything like that. It's told using such dry affect, which, again, is the trauma that that character has experienced and is basically just bundled up and put in the back of his, you know, consciousness. And then the scene ultimately ends with, you know, these the, the police officer saying, well, okay, I guess you can go. And he, he's in disbelief belief that he's not like getting some sort of punishment for it or being arrested for it and ultimately he tries to kill himself in the police station as well just a really powerful moment from that movie i'm sure when denzel washington watches that scene he's like well you know maybe casey has a point in beating me that year Um, but, uh, in an otherwise overrated and sort of messy movie, that scene is a standout, a really great YouTube rewatch and, um, just really powerful, impressive acting from someone who has in the past tended to overact sometimes in movies and his last name is Affleck. But in that scene, he remains so guarded and so grounded and so controlled, um, that it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome acting. So great beautifully shot too by Kenneth Lonergan very understated no no, not a lot of cuts just one kind of straight shot
0: good call good call yeah it's a great choice
1: all right Todd number one what do you got
0: (sighs) okay so my number one I've mentioned this a few times I have it ranked as uh, this movie has my number two most essential employee in movies and my number one unexpected performance of the 2010s and it is a scene featuring him. It is spring breakers every time. Because, wow. I don't know. I mean, if there wasn't a reason to be intoxicated by Car- Harmony Corrin's movie, it, I mean, this is like the most unexpected scene. Because it's got this like, gorgeous setting on the ocean side. And like the sun's going down. <clears throat> and then all the girls walk out. They're wearing pink ski masks. And there's sweatpants, they DTF on the ass, and uh, they're wielding shotguns, and then he sits down on the piano, and he pours his heart out into a Britney Spears song, and, like, all, all of a sudden, everything turns like silhouettes, and it shows, like, this slow motion of them, like, robbing people and stuff. It's, like, the most bizarrely placed, unforgettable scene, and it gives the movie the status as being, like, the most beguiling and confounding movie uh, of the decade, pretty much, and... Yeah, spring break, bitches. That's my number one scene. It's the third time I've mentioned that movie on our on our power rankings, and I have no problem with it.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Spring I can't ride. believe you went there. I can't believe you're saying that's better than the processing scene in The Master.
0: can't believe you're saying all of your scenes are better than the processing scene in The Master. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a valid point. My number one, I think, is fairly hard to argue with, though. All right. Uh, My number one is uh, the party scene from Parasite. Um, Nice. as As I was thinking about it, this was, like, one of the first scenes that popped into my head. And there were... I couldn't really get it out of my head. And nothing else really compares. There are so many things happening in that scene with so many different characters. And it's working on so many different levels... And the way it ends is like one of the most jaw-dropping moments of the uh, entire decade. Even though it might not even be the most jaw-dropping moment of the movie, um, but uh, it is. It, it's just seeing everything play out the way it does, and and how you know people are finally going to stand up for what they what they really are, and uh, and yeah, it just. And the bloodbath that ends up ensuing, there there is there are a few things better than I mean and that that scene I mean it's one of the things that won it won it Best Picture so the party scene in Parasite I, I had to I had to and there were several other scenes from that movie you could go with uh, but that's my that's my favorite scene of the decade. And It is
0: like a thirty-minute sequence though. I mean I don't know if it's really one scene, but yeah. I mean that yeah. That, I mean that's hard to argue with that.
1: Yeah. I think it's one scene. there's it's it's like a continuous thing. It it has to be.
2: Yeah. It's a good scene. I don't know, it, it, it's it's a challenge because that movie of course is so great. It's probably not the scene I would have chosen from that movie, but it is the scene that's probably the most shocking in that movie. I
1: think no, I, don't, I don't think I don't anything even, uh, is more shocking than the former housekeeper hanging from the ceiling trying to push yeah. the push the cupboard. Like that, like like that's what I was saying. It's 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 such a jaw dropping scene, but it's not the most jaw dropping moment of the movie. But
2: that's the problem with picking from a good movie is that there's so many different scenes you could choose from. Like that's almost I can almost see I can almost justify Todd's pick because Spring Breakers is such a unclassifiable movie that that sequence absolutely does stand out in it. But Parasite's actually a good movie, and so there's so many different scenes you could choose from. I don't, see, when you first said Parasite, I thought you were going to go with the scene where um, it's, you know, the musical montage and at sort of toward the beginning of the movie, and it's when they all go undercover, basically.
1: Yeah, that's a good scene, too. I, I just, I mean, this scene, though, it's just how everything is is all working on, like I said, all working on different levels. You find out what the parents are actually, you know, what they really think of of the people who work for them. You find out what the... You know the family that's doing all that has infiltrated, and and the father and what he's willing to go to actually do, um, and uh, to make all this to you know to fight back against what they stand for. I mean, and and then what what happens with the son? What happens with the with the daughter? The random you know housekeeper's husband that comes flying out of the basement, and <laughs> wielding a knife. I mean, it's. There is so much going on in that scene that um, it's you. You have to rewatch the scene several times just to understand everything that's happening, and uh, but at the same time, it is a masterpiece of a scene. Respect. Respect. <laughs> All right, Zach, number one.
2: Alright, I'm going with a movie that uh, at, when I first saw it at the time, I gave it one star, and I haven't seen it since, And uh, it's, but there is a sequence from it that is so good, and is so unforgettable that I do return to it quite a bit on YouTube, and it, it makes me afraid to rewatch the movie because I know the rest of the movie was such garbage, but I do have to say, the sequence in flight when Denzel Washington is drunk at the helm of the airplane, he is asleep, at the helm of the airplane, when the storm hits or whatever happens, and then chaos ensues, right? And you watch, you know, his, his flight the, the his co-pilot is just losing his shit. You see the stewardess is losing his shit and Denzel Washington who is straight up drunk in that scene is like calm as a cucumber he's like not panicking at all it is first of all it's it's maybe the greatest like intoxication under pressure scene of any movie ever made and the the way that he solves the crisis of the plane which is you know shutting off the engine and then doing a 180 degree vertical you know like roll. inversion exactly
1: i was is, inverted
2: <laughs> absolutely, uh, absolutely incredible. I mean, I want you know, MythBusters should do an episode about if that would actually work or not. I'm guessing it probably wouldn't work, but like that shit almost works. I believe only six people die in the collision, right? And he's drunk the entire time. All right, that takes balls of steel, in the words of Alec Baldwin and Glen Gary Glenn Ross. Like that is that is a spectacular sequence by one of the great, well, one of the all time most schizophrenic directors, Robert Zemeckis, who is capable of doing great things (laughs) and terrible things Um, the movie itself is pretty lousy although I do have to say when I watch that scene on YouTube YouTube recommends the next scene that I watch being the scene where Denzel Washington admits under pressure at the committee hearing that he's drunk he was drunk during the flight that he drank the vodka and he's drunk right now great scene as well why was the rest of the movie so terrible? I can't really answer that question, but those two scenes are really freaking good, and tell me there was a better plane crash scene this decade. Tell me there was a better disaster Sorry. or grace under pressure scene this decade.
0: Slowly, yeah, the answer is Sully. And yeah, I mean, the movie is bad, you're right. <laughs> but I think Denzel in that
2: scene has super high war. Not a lot of other actors could could have conceivably been drunk and conceivably landed the plane in the way that he did and reveal it in the way that he did so believably. So you know what? He didn't win the Oscar in 2016. We're all sad about that. You know, he gave maybe the greatest drunken scene in any movie this decade.
1: I've never seen Flight, but I know exactly what you're talking about. You haven't
2: seen Flight?
1: No. Oh,
2: wow. Okay, no. I'm sorry. if I, 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 I spoiled that whole movie you, for you. Well no, okay. you did
1: I know exactly what the movie's about. <laughs> I I, wa- I watched the Oscars and watched Seth MacFarlane reenact it with sock puppets. <laughs>
0: oh yeah!
2: How have you not seen a Robert Zemeckis movie named Flight?
0: I know that is the most I,
1: Terry thing
0: ever. That was the year of I, John I, and Goodman.
1: I, and, I, and I was just thinking, the John about Goodman seems pretty funny in that movie too. What What's happened? You're absolutely right. What's happened to Robert Zemeckis? I mean, because all right, this this has been his last. Here's his last decade. Well,
2: he made The Walk this decade, which I thought flights. was a pretty, was pretty good movie bad. too.
1: The Walk, the Walk. No, was, I like The
2: Walk. The Walk was alright.
1: The Walk was good. It was nowhere near as good as the uh, as the documentary. Um, right. About the same thing. Uh, then you had Allied, which is Brad Pitt, Marion Cotillard, which I forgot even existed. Um, then you had uh, where did it go? Oh, come on. Um, then you had. Uh, welcome to Marwin, which I've seen, it was, and it's it not terrible. as bad as everyone has said, but it's not great. And then he just made the witches, which a lot of people are saying is terrible. the worst movie of the of the year. Um, which again, it's not as bad as people are saying, but it's pretty bad. I mean, how how does he end up there? I mean, the, this is the guy who made who made Back to the Future. It's the guy who made Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, Contact, Castaway. How does he end up? now doing this i mean is he too obsessed with the technology and just pick stuff that is going to be interesting listen if my life
2: is on the line and i have a choice between a competent person and drunk denzel washington i'm really thinking about it i i really think i might go with denzel drunk denzel
1: that that's yeah, I, 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 That might be a questionable decision. I don't know. All right, <laughs> Todd, honorable mentions.
0: Uh, so I have, uh, the nightclub scene in The Social Network, which I think is an awesome sequence. You can hardly hear anything in that scene, uh, or, but uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great scene with Timberlake and Eisenberg. Uh, the scene in the bathroom in March and Call is my favorite scene in that movie. Among a lot mm. of great scenes.
2: Yeah, that's a lot of scenes. Uh,
0: the scene in The House that Jack built, where he keeps uh, having to go back and clean the house over again. Because he's got OCD. That, that's a great sequence. Uh, the scene in Argo, where they're leaving the country, is one of the most intense things I've ever watched in a movie. The ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, of course, because that is as good as Tarantino can get. Uh, the When the maid returns... And uh, Parasite, I had on there. Andy's Farewell to His Toys in Toy Story 3. And the underwater Mm. fighting in Skyfall, because it's like a sequence that I've never seen in a movie before, and it is amazing to watch.
1: Those are all good choices. All right. um, I have uh, my honorable mentions. uh, First, I have... This is my Leo scene, and it's also my Once Upon a Time in Hollywood scene, but it's not the one you mentioned. I thought about the ending to that, but I went with um, the scene of him acting on set, and and him him going through it, and then having a break, and then come back, and then like um, I need to do it again, and that, I mean that that's one of the best acted scenes of the decade, and and just seeing the actors process through Leo in that scene. Um, it would have made my list, however, I realized if it had made my list, that would have been three 2019 movies on my list, and I couldn't do that.
0: 2019 um, was a great year.
1: It was. It was. Uh, then I have, uh, the ending of Captain Phillips is also one of the best acted scenes of Tom Hanks, you know, just completely in shock and trauma, you know, get, getting getting back on the boat, and I mean, it, it, again, the how he did not get nominated is a crime. Um, and uh, then I have the uh, showdown between uh, Luke and Kylo Ren in The Last Jedi. Um, that, that is a, just an epic moment. And then the reveal at the end of it that he's not even really there is just awesome. Um, the, uh, the first time Lady Gaga is on stage and A Star is Born and they're singing Shallow together. That moment is just, is just cool. That, that moment where she just decides, all right... Okay, I'm going for it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it, and she gets out there, and that that moment is just is just awesome. And uh, the last one I have, um, the other one of the other MCU moments I was thinking of is the snap. If you're not going to go with the uh, Avengers Assemble, you go with the snap. So uh, that that was the other one I had on there. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, Zach, what's your uh, what's your honorable mentions look like? Well,
2: if I was being serious about my actual favorite scenes from the decade. I would also I would include um, the measurement scene from Phantom Thread where he's taking her measurements absolutely yeah. incredible scene um a lot of scenes from Blue Valentine, but I think the, the one toward the end of the movie when Ryan Gosling shows up at the doctor's office mm, and uh, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, drunk and the, their marriage is falling apart. Great scene. Margin Call, we can make a whole power rankings of great Margin Call scenes. I think the one that I would go with, I mean, I love the opening scene when Stanley Tucci gets fired. That's a great scene. And I also love the scene when they talk about how Zachary Quinto was is a rocket uh, scientist. Now, Terry, have you seen Margin Call at this point?
1: i have yeah i i, I okay. saw it back when it came out i it's been a long doing, time and i don't really we're doing the 10-year
2: anniversary of margin call next year so i don't want to say too much about it but really there's it. almost is r- 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 almost any scenes from that movie of work yeah. um the climactic scene of crazy stupid love the david friend hagen whatever his name is lynn, terry knows the scene and terry agree T- der- yes david lynn hagen a uh, great scene um, even though it's also sort of a rip-off of the end scene of, of City Island, which also has a great scene, um, the break breakup scene of Marriage Story I already mentioned, uh, the any of the last 20 minutes of Two Days, One Night, the David Diggs rap in Blind Spotting, yeah. um, in the in the five year engagement, the scene with um, uh, the Elmo the Elmo scene in in that movie, the five year and, engagement.
0: Uh, I haven't thought of that movie ever. What is is that? That's not the, that's not the song that Chris Pratt sings, is it?
2: No, oh, that's a really good scene, too, Uh, with all the X's, uh, uh, Yeah, that's, um, no, I'm talking about the scene with Emily Blunt, and she's um, using Elmo's voice. Uh, Alison Brie is also in the scene, and she says, Elmo says! I don't know, that's a really funny scene. (laughs) But, yes, Chris Pratt's song in that movie is also hilarious. Actually, I really like the end scene, too, where they actually do get married. Very very funny stuff. Five-year engagement, very underrated uh, movie. And then my last pick was going to be the entire movie of uh, Victoria, because it's one scene. nice
1: that should have been on your list you're not going with 1917 as for for the one scene no when
2: somehow that that doesn't make my list terry i
1: hate to say uh all right well we've reached uh we've reached that time somehow we have to try and pick adam's list for what he picked for his uh top five scenes of the last decade todd we've we've talked about this often you know him best Yes. Um, and, and you are winning in this game. What do you say?
0: Uh, well, should I go through my honorable mention ones first, or should I wait till after? Because <laughs> I have a lot. Uh, cause I, I feel like these are all have to be mentioned.
1: Just go for it. Just go for it.
0: Okay, well, the ones that aren't in the top five, I have uh, the rookie numbers, the scene from Wolf of Wall Street, uh, when they first find Deckard in 20, 20, Brother Burner 2049, the party scene in Parasite, the sunken plays from Get Out, Uh, Singing on the Sidewalk in Blue Valentine, Remember Me from Coco, uh, the last scene of Whiplash, and Food Sex in uh, Sausage Party. But, number five, I have uh, uh, the lesbian necrophilia scene in The the Neon Demon, because we love to mention that movie. Uh, Then I have number four, Rushing and Dragging in Whiplash. Number three, uh, the library fight in John Wick 3 Parabellum. Number two, the processing scene in The Mass era, And number one, the house fire flashback in Manchester by the Sea.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, Alright, I've got uh, number five, uh, the McConaughey scene in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> uh, number four, I have the snap in Infinity War. Uh, number three, I have the opening scene in Social Network. Uh, number two, I have Bing Bong in Inside Out. And number one, I have the opening chase in Mad Max Fury Road.
2: All right, my number five was the breakup scene in The Social Network. My number four is the breakup scene in Marriage Story. Number three is something from Your Name. I don't know, some <laughs> scene from it. We haven't seen it. <laughs> number two was Neil Patrick Harris in Gone Girl. And number one, the birthday party scene sequence in Parasite.
1: All right, here we go. Uh, Adam's List. He says, so many amazing movies. We could easily make this top 25 of the decade and we would still be um, leaving stuff off. Honorable mentions. He's got um, You Only Hurt the Ones You Loved in Blue uh, Blue Valentine. Yeah! The elevator scene in adventure. Drive. Uh, the elevator scene in Drive, Making Her Smile in Magic Mike XXL. Uh, the ending of The Hunt, 2013, The Hunt. Um... Every time, Britney Spears a song montage in Spring Breakers. Atta (laughs)
0: boy.
1: No Vaseline, straight out of Compton. Uh, The Pool Party in Eighth Grade. Uh, Take Her to the Moon for Me, Bing Bong Death, and Inside Out. Oh, man. Uh, The Fight Scene in Marriage Story. The Beach Scene in Roma. And Avengers Assemble, Avengers Endgame. Okay, number five caravan from whiplash the scene made me feel so many emotions (laughs) miles teller was truly snubbed for this performance seeing him wanting to prove himself to fletcher but also showing his drive to be the best was just a refitting uh, refitting he says refitting experience i don't know if that's what he meant but that's what he said uh number four the twist in parasite when this scene plays out it totally changes everything in this film it's a tonal shift that had me glued. One of these films, or one of those films, that sinks its teeth in your brain. Oh, fine. Oh man. Number three, when life gives you lemons, The Wolf of Wall Street. We all had the wrong Wolf of Wall Street scene. A scene that was truly unexpected in this dark comedy. Having the scene play out one way, totally subverts your expectations. The reveal was fantastic.
0: So Adam and I are scene on the What scene is he talking about? The l-
1: the scene Todd mentioned, yeah, the, the Quaalude scene.
0: Oh, oh okay. <laughs> we have some of the same choices.
1: <laughs> yeah. Number two, the processing scene in The Master. That's where I had it. Two fantastic actors delivering an incredible scene. Watching these, I was shocked at how this scene was portrayed on the screen. Phoenix has my eyes hurting. And number one, .03%, the social network. Nice. So many scenes could have been in this post creating, creating face face smash the opening breakup however this scene shows who mark truly is andrew garfield is phenomenal in this scene i think he meant facebook but he wrote face smash okay. listen denzel I'm g- I'm g- had way more
2: alcohol blood alcohol level then 0.3 percent
1: in flight so which scene is he talking about there 0.03 percent
0: that's when... Mark! Yeah, that's when he comes back. He's like, I'm he's, not he's, coming back for I'm coming back forever. You oh, better yeah, lawyer yeah, yeah, up, yeah, yeah. asshole. Yeah, so
1: Andrew Garfield coming back. <laughs> oh, come on. I had the wrong social network scene on the list.
0: I, I had the wrong... That's an okay scene. scene. I, I got one. I got the processing scene at number two.
1: And you had, and you had the... Uh, what you had a parasite scene, but the wrong one. You we had got, a whiplash. Scene, had those but the wrong one. mentions.
0: But I had a whiplash scene in the wrong. I had the wrong whiplash scene in, but I had the uh, the right scene in the honorable mentions.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Either way, I, I think I win. you win. You're the only one that got anything. Yeah. Um. I thought I thought Mad Max Fury Road was a pretty good. Was a pretty good. Like, I thought John Wick. Like 3, flaming guitar. That was, that's
0: totally the kind of shit he mentions. <laughs> I looked up what's the best fight scene in John Wick three, and it was the library scene. So like, oh, that's what I'm putting on there.
1: <laughs> you let Google determine your your uh, predictions for Adam.
0: Yeah, well, and plus, I mean, I can't believe you didn't mention lesbian necrophilia. He's done that like three times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay.
0: Well, I'm at Todd, twenty-four. You get pick next time. Zach as. 16 and a half, and Terry is 15.
1: Gosh dang it. It's not cool, man. Not cool! <sighs> Alright, so Todd, you get a pick. I think we only, what, we have maybe maybe two power rankings left in, before the end of 2020? Something like that?
0: Yeah, it would appear so.
1: Pressure's on to, to pick a good one. <laughs> Alright, that's the end of that. That's the end of Power Rankings. Let's move on to our trivia segment. Are you ready?
0: Well, let's hope so. Oh,
1: I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face.
0: This is going downhill quick.
1: Trivia. Before we actually do trivia, we have to report on some movies. Todd won last time, so Zach and I had to watch some stuff. Zach, you're going to go first. What did you have to watch?
2: I had to watch the uh, 2006 uh, movie, Invincible, starring Marky Mark as uh, the real-life figure of Vince Papale, who was not the garbage-kicking, field goal-kicking Philadelphia phenomenon, nor was he Rocky Balboa, but he was someone from South Philadelphia, who apparently in 1976 attended an open tryout for the then-struggling Philadelphia Eagles franchise and improbably made the team in spite of the fact that if you watch this movie Marky Mark looks like he weigh, he, he looks like he's about 57 and weighs 140 but this was in the 1970s so you know and he does play special teams he's definitely like got sort of a West Welker vibe in the movie and it also helps that he wears the number 83 um this movie my, i it it sucked okay it was like so lame It was, first of all, it was like terrible 2006 CGI because they couldn't shoot in Veterans Stadium because by that point it had been demolished. So you watch the opening scene and you watch some of the football scenes and it just looks really, really fake. It uses this like really overdone tungsten filter throughout the movie that makes everything look like it's like sunset and it just looks very, very hokey. Um, And the football highlight scenes look like, at at this point, maybe this is, you know, um, sort of 2020 Monday morning quarterbacking, but it looks like it's highlights from uh, Madden. I mean, it it really does. It doesn't look like anything uh, real. Um, the relationship in the movie between Mark Wahlberg and Elizabeth Banks is very flat. I feel like there must have been a studio meeting where they said, well, let's make Elizabeth Banks, you know, we're not just going to make her the typical um, you know, move, uh, girlfriend of the, of the main character. We're going to make her different and unique. And how are we going to do that? By making her a New York Giants fan. Oh, that'll make her stand out. Um, and uh, this movie is pretty obviously Rudy meets the Rookie. Um, it just kind of leaves you wanting both of those movies and uh, in 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 spite of it we kind of get this uh, garbage uh, it's like I, I I fell asleep during parts of it and then the movie ends in like the most abrupt way possible it's literally at a week three home game against the Giants where Vince makes a really big play on special teams and then the movie ends it's like uh, really like he didn't even and then and then I love the title card that says uh, the Philadelphia Eagles made the super uh, Vince played for the Philadelphia Eagles three more years. In 1980, they made the Super Bowl. Well, the movie takes place in 1976, so you're saying he didn't make the Super Bowl team? Like, come on. And then you got Greg <laughs> Kinnear as, uh, the inimitable Greg Kinnear as Dick Vermeule, and I do have to say, there, you know, how do you not have a scene with Dick Vermeule crying? Come on! I mean, that was a golden opportunity right there. As a result, uh, the movie gets one and a half stars. I know Todd is fond of Elizabeth Banks. She's definitely the war and the MVP of the movie. But as a result, I just kept thinking, you know what, Eddie Adams from Torrance, I think he had performance issues in this movie. And, you know, I think that that was the real problem.
0: Okay, uh... I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Well, it what you said, okay, so you you, you criticized the last scene for ending abruptly at an, an inconsequential game, but you said the reason why Rudy is great is because the ending is inconsequential. So you make no sense. This is the best That's football movie there point. is. This is the, the best football <laughs> movie. It looks like Philadelphia. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks is every guy's dream girl. She knows everything about football, and she actually is... A real person. You, if you look at pictures of Vince Polly, her, the girl next to him is always wearing New York Giants gear. Like that—that's a real thing. I don't. I don't know. I'm not even sure what your criticisms are actually trying to say, but they don't work. <laughs> it's the, it's one of the best PG movies that I've ever seen. <laughs> it's the best foo- so, football so, football movie.
1: So Todd, are you saying that Elizabeth Banks in *Invincible* would uh, pass Steve Gutenberg's test?
2: Yeah. From diner. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was about the Colts, though, not the Giants.
0: <laughs> yeah, but she knows all about the Eagles, too. And what it was, really, was Marky Steve Van Buren or whatever it is.
2: Mark should have dated Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings Playbook. She obviously knows her shit about the Eagles and brings them good juju.
0: Yeah, it's really awesome that you talked about another crazy Eagles fan. Gonna well, be an and Eagle, we haven't even baby. mentioned
2: Philadelphia we haven't even mentioned Philadelphia Phil. Where is he in this That's movie? That's true. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. but I mean, I don't know. I lo- <laughs> the movie is definitely like Hollywood and definitely Disney, but I like how the, the parts where it's like they have this huge tryout, and the only person that even gets a second look is the one guy. Like all these like huge lines of people that are diehard Eagle fans, even like decent athletes, like he's the only one that gets a decent look. Like I mean it's not Well, did you see the people there? <laughs> yeah, not all of
2: them. I mean like like, you know, the th- the, the the 400-pound guy who like it's like, "Yeah, with I the, love the Eagles." with the cape. Like <laughs> yeah. yes, yes, exactly. That was that that was actually a scene that was kind of amusing to watch. But again, I, I was I, I was movie. hoping that when Dick made the cuts and he said, go home, everybody, where were the tears? I don't know. In the leaning on to Kurt Warner. It, it, was, was, it was a missed reality. opportunity.
0: Yeah, he, when they make the story of Kurt Warner, Greg Kinnear definitely needs to rep- reprise that role.
2: Greg Kinnear looks nothing say, that, like Dick Vermeule, by the way.
1: However, that feels Zero. like perfect casting. Zero resemblance. Yeah,
2: yes. I guess <laughs> it's like Chevy Chase as Gerald Ford. There's no physical resemblance, but um, it exists.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alright, so uh, it, it was kind of funny going through this So Todd won last time So he assigned us movies And he assigned Invincible to Zach And he assigned to me Girl Interrupted And then we were talking and found out that I haven't seen Invincible either And Zach hasn't seen Girl Interrupted either So we're pretty sure that The next time Todd wins I'm going to be watching Invincible And Zach is going to be watching Girl Interrupted We should have just come um, to the
0: stable with those two movies
1: <laughs> yeah we probably should have anyways so uh i watched girl interrupted and um this was written and directed by james Mangold, very early on in his career and i was actually kind of shocked to know that this was a james Mangold movie um i mean he he has he had a very interesting career this is only his third movie he ever made um his second movie was copland with sylvester stallone which was a a quiet kind of cult classic and then he, over the last 20 years, he's made three of, like, the, like, three great movies that are some of my favorites, like Walk the Line and 310 to Yuma and Logan. I mean, last year he did do Ford v. Ferrari, but I'm not holding that against him. Um, but, uh, yeah, so James Mangold made this movie. Um, it's true story uh, based on a memoir by, um, by Susanna Kaysen, who Winona Ryder plays. And um, it's really a star-studded cast because you got Winona Ryder, Angelina Jolie, Brittany Murphy, Elizabeth Moss, Jared Leto, Jeffrey Tambor, Vanessa Redgrave, Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, it, it's a huge cast you have here. Um, and it is um, she goes to a mental ward, and um, everyone thinks she's crazy. And it's her relationship with all the inmates there, and with the nurse. And the doctors, the nurse is played by Whoopi Goldberg. The doctors are played by Jeffrey Tambor and Vanessa Redgrave. I feel like it's like a perfect companion piece with uh, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, which we watched just a couple weeks ago and did a deep dive of. Um, but it takes it in the opposite direction. Where Cuckoo's Nest is, you, you know, you have this, this sadistic villain of a nurse... And, and you end in this tragedy, and the only way you're free from a place like that is through death. And this goes in the opposite direction, where um, you have a saint of a nurse in Whoopi Goldberg that is giving her exactly what she needs. And, um, and really, it's... But at the same time, you still have many of those scenes where it's Winona Ryder just kind of watching the inmates. Um, this is Angelina Jolie in her Oscar-winning performance, and she totally earns it. Um, but Elizabeth Moss gives a great performance. Brittany Murphy is ridiculous in this movie. Um, Clea DuVall's in it as well. She gives a very fascinating performance. So you're watching. So it's a lot of her just watching them saying, "Wow, they're actually crazy." Kind of like McMurphy watching the inmates in Cuckoo's Nest saying, "Wow, they're actually crazy." Um, the way it plays out and the way it all works out, I, I honestly I love this movie. It was a lot of fun to watch. It was fascinating to watch. Had me riveted the whole time. Three and a half stars. Um, it's going to be in my top ten of uh, of 1999 moving forward. Um, it, it it was a really good watch, and uh, I'm really curious to see what Zach ends up thinking when he has to watch it.
2: I watched the first hour of it. Just to be clear, I I I I got into it. I wasn't in love with it, but I would be willing to revisit it. All right. If if it, if it, if it, if the call comes
1: yeah i i think it really it like i said it it, this and cuckoo's nest make like the perfect double feature wouldn't you say todd
0: yeah i mean i said on our cuckoo's nest thing i feel like this is like the better version of cuckoo's nest i know that's a controversial statement because this was also my number one movie that has a rotten score on rotten tomatoes which i will never understand because it seems it i feel like it checks every box for what critics would like but uh i love the movie i think jolie was my number three supporting actress performance of all time uh I'm glad that you really liked it, because I was prepared for you to, to be lukewarm about it. But, uh, at least you liked the movie I gave you.
1: Angelina Jolie is really good in it. However, I mean, how did Winona Ryder not get any acclaim for this? Because she's I, insane yeah, in this movie. She is amazing. It almost feels like, like, this is like her character in Beetlejuice grown up.
0: <laughs> well, she had had multiple nominations too, coming up to that point. Yeah. So I mean it's not like it would have been out of the blue to start rewarding her. But she uh, she is she is great. She holds her own but with Angelina, who's a scene stealer. And,
1: and all that came out of this movie was Angelina, right? She was yeah. yeah, she got nominated everywhere. She won everywhere. But it was the only accolades this movie got. Like it was the only nomination I got at the at the Academy Awards. Kinda of crazy.
0: Okay, how do I how do under sixty percent of Rotten Tomatoes? Mm. I don't get it.
1: I don't, I don't get it. Maybe that's why uh, James Mangold followed this up with Kate and Leopold.
0: <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, All the, right. the one that you said was not one of his good movies. The one that got a Best Picture nomination. That's <laughs> it's funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. It, but but that that was definitely a thrice declined movie on this podcast. Yes. Remember those days when we got to go to the theaters? Anyways. All right. It's trivia time. Todd, what are we doing?
0: Uh, we are doing some filmography trivia. Uh, oh I looked gosh. at who, uh, who had birthdays today. There are two Avengers stars that have birthdays today. Uh, and so we are going to look through their movies. Uh, you cannot use the MCU movies, though, because I just said that. Um, we will start with Scarlett Johansson, who today, uh, November 22nd, turns thirty six. She has 43 movies that are not MCU movies, and we are going to start with Zach. Lost in translation. That is correct. Marriage story. That is correct. JoJo Rabbit. Correct.
1: Uh her.
2: Correct? Um
1: the horse whisperer
0: correct underrated movie I agree
1: uh ghost in the shell
0: Ghost in the shell that is an interesting choice that is correct
2: <laughs> uh match point
0: that's another one uh, uh
1: the girl with the pearl earring.
0: That is a movie that she was in. That is correct. Lucy. That's Over another
1: one. Uh, Home Alone 3.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will go with that.
1: <laughs> She's in it.
0: Well, for
2: we're going that far back, why don't we go with Manny and Lowe, which was her better prepubescent movie.
0: There's, yeah, there's another one. The Search for Bobby Long. And, I mean, I could give you a half point. That's not the title. It's not? I thought that was the title. A Love Song for Bobby Long.
1: Love Song for Bobby Long. You know what I was talking about.
0: I'll give Terry a half point for that.
1: Okay, half point, but we keep going.
0: <laughs> okay, I guess. Yeah, search th- for
1: Bobby Fischer. That's what I was combining there, there, there are a
0: lot of movies left that you guys should get, so I guess we keep going. Zach. Whatever. Lame. Um, the island. Yeah, that's another one.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Um Gosh, why am I running out? Um Yeah, I'm out anyways.
0: Okay. Go for it, Zach. Uh, Don John. Don John.
1: Oh yeah. Scoop.
2: Scoop. Under the Skin. Yeah. Ghost World. Yeah. We'll call it good there.
0: All right, that's eleven to Terry's five and a half. Uh, <sighs> you got? I mean, recently uh, Terry should have probably said Sing. I know he loves that movie.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Uh, she was in stuff like Hail Caesar, Chef, Hitchcock, We Bought a Zoo, uh, one of Terry's movies. Yeah, I should have said that Another too. Another Woody Allen movie with Victor Christina Barcelona. Yeah. The Prestige, Black Dahlia. You know, she's uh, a lot of stuff. Lots of stuff. But her co-star in the Avengers movies, Mark Ruffalo, today also turns 53. So we're going through his movies. There are 49 of them that are not... Related to the MCU. Uh, yeah, so Terry starts. You can count on me. That is one. Spotlight. That is another.
1: The kids are alright.
0: Yep.
2: Fire, uh, Firecatcher. What? You say fire um, catcher?
0: I'll give you a half point. Yeah. <laughs> Fox catcher?
2: What was it called? Fox catcher.
0: Oh, that's if what Terry he gets was going a half for? Point.
2: If Terry gets a half point, yeah. then I should yeah, get
1: yeah, a half yeah, point. Oh, I, I'm not arguing I'm with that. The, yeah,
0: that's a half point.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: Margaret. Margaret is correct.
2: Um, oh, I'm kind of struggling with freaking Mark Ruffalo. Um... Thirteen going on
1: thirty.
0: That is correct. That's that probably I the that. first thing I ever saw him in.
1: <laughs> collateral.
0: That is correct. Nice to He was in collateral? One, like yeah, one he's the
1: detective. Ooh. Okay.
2: I didn't I didn't know that. Um oh, this is embarrassing. Um,
0: Firecatcher sounds like an interesting movie, though.
2: <laughs> I think I think I mixed it with Firestarter, the Stephen King. Um, he was in that movie with Reese Witherspoon, where she's like a ghost in the apartment. It's the rom com, um, and it has such a bland title. It's like she's not there, or something really lame like that. It's from two thousand five. I don't know. You should give me a quarter point for that. I can't remember the name I of don't that know shit. What you're I, I don't about. know. It's like a 2005, 2006 romantic comedy he did with Reese Witherspoon. Oh, okay. Where she's like a ghost. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, but I'll, I give up.
0: Go for a Terry. <sighs> Currently, Zach um, is at 13.5, and, and Terry's at
1: 9.5. Yeah, Zach's going to win. Um. Because I I don't know if I have anything else. Let me think. Uh, oh, begin again.
0: That is another one. Oh, no, good one.
1: Um. Mm, gosh. When you when you exclude MCU, I mean that's so much that these these oh, two have been you. doing over the last, entire last decade 10, ten years. More yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Although he does have another Outside franchise. Outside of Oscar nominees. He does have another franchise of the last decade.
1: He has another franchise. Um. Uh. Five, four... Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Zach wins.
0: Okay, uh, the other... I mean, he was in the Now You See Me movies, one and two. Uh,
2: oh, yeah. yeah. Last year he had... What was the Reese Witherspoon movie?
0: Uh, that was Just Like Heaven. Just like Half Uh Last year he had Dark Waters. Uh, oh, yeah. He had oh, yeah. St- stuff like uh, Shutter Island, What Doesn't Kill oh, You, gosh. Zodiac.
1: Whoa, What Doesn't Kill You? I just watched that movie. Eternal Zodiac.
0: Sun- Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Oh, oh uh, gosh. Yeah.
2: I forget that he's in that movie. Yeah,
0: and he had a bunch of shit in the 90s, like Mirror Mirror 3 The Voyeur. He, he did not start out oh, very well, hot.
2: We were going to get that.
0: Uh, but yeah, in the cut, you know, he was of course in the yeah. awesome movie R- Reservation Road. I mean, his career
1: really, s- his crew really started with You Can Count on Me, right?
0: Yeah, it seems that way. Although after that, he didn't really have. He was in like Wind Talkers and other stuff, but he wasn't Eternal Sunshine, like 03, 04, 05, Like that was when he started making real good movies, but he was never the main character. But Zach wins thirteen and a half to ten and a half.
1: We should do more uh, filmography uh, trivia. That was awesome. I
0: think we
2: should watch the movie Firestarter and Love Bobby Long. Searching for Bobby Long? Searching for Bobby Long and <laughs> the I Firestarter. Bobby Long.
0: I, I, I've song, seen
1: yeah. it. I combined it with Searching for Bobby Fischer. I've seen it too. Don't you
0: own the movie? I just
1: forgot. Yeah, I think I do.
0: I think I bought that for you. I think you did. It's got like John Travolta in it or something.
1: It does. It does. <laughs> uh All right. That was unfortunate. Okay. So Zach has to assign us movies to watch.
2: Oh, this will be fun.
1: Oh, I'm sure it will. Uh, All right, let's wrap this up. Quote of the Day time.
0: Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it.
1: Quote of the Day.
0: Uh, Zach,
1: you get to go first.
2: Uh, Can you come back to me for a second? I just lost
1: mine. All right, Zach lost his quote. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Todd, you get to go first then.
0: Uh, so I was thinking about our podcast. You know, we just went through episode 100. You know, our YouTube thing is, is, is uh, happening. You know, it's all happening. And I was thinking about one of my favorite scenes in the decade from the social network, the nightclub scene, where Justin Timberlake just says, this is our time. This is our time as a podcast.
1: I like it, I like it. All right, I'm gonna go with a quote also from my uh, from my best scene list. And in the MCU, there is a lot of like callbacks to to different things and Easter eggs and things like that. Possibly my favorite callback to another movie is in the Avengers Assemble scene in Endgame. The first thing you hear when everyone's coming back is you hear Sam. As the Falcon, in um, in Captain America's ear, say, "On your left," and the first moment you ever see Anthony Mackey in the MCU, is is Steve Rogers, Captain America, running past him uh, as they jog around Washington D.C. On your left, and he's, as he runs right past him, and that that's like one of my favorite. Uh, that's my favorite callback in anything in the mcu on your left and here he comes flying by on it over his left shoulder it's awesome yeah so on your left
0: both versions of that of that line are awesome
1: (laughs) they are they are it's the it's it's like one of the best it's the best part of that scene for sure all right zach did you find your quote
2: uh Okay, I did, but I, I think I'm going to go with something else. Well, my original quote was from Britney Spears. It was, Every time I try to fly, I fall without my wings. I feel so small. I guess I need you, baby. And every time I see you in my dreams, I see your face. You're haunting me. I guess I need you, baby. But I also want to go one. with um, Terry's uh, 2012 review of the Avengers, which he says... Um, It is one of the shortest movies over two hours you will ever see, and you will be hard-pressed to find a more entertaining movie this year. If you ever saw a superhero you enjoyed in any way, shape, or form, see The Avengers.
1: I mean, hey, that holds up, I think. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Why don't you put it on the internet? It's there forever, man. Yeah, Man, I hadn't revisited I think that's that, what that I, since I that's, wrote it.
2: That's kind of my go-to when I, can't, I don't have a quote. I just look up our old webpage and see uh, <laughs> what what relics from the past we can uh, resurrect. What gems are still there. Yeah.
1: AlmostSideways.com. Check it out. There's some great stuff on there. Stuff we wrote back in 2008 that apparently still Remember when still blogging exists. was a thing? Yeah, yeah. I have a post that I'm working on that's going to go up soon uh, after the NBA draft happened this week. I'm, I'm re-ranking all the NBA draft classes back all the way back to 1989.
0: I'm getting Spoiler to the end of the top my, two are the same. Oscar predictions article coming out.
1: Oh, okay. Out so there, There's two blog posts that are going to be coming out soon.
2: And check my it, Instagram for my Criterion movies that I bought today at the half-off sale. There, that's my contribution. <laughs>
1: All right, where can they find you on Instagram at, Zach?
2: Oh, God, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it's Prozac36, I think.
1: Okay, okay. Prozac36, and, if you, and if you don't find him there, every day. add I think to the end, and you might be able to find him then. Um, <laughs> all right, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe on all of our platforms. We'll be back at you next week. Uh, with a deep dive of another amazing movie celebrating an anniversary this year until then have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side
0: despite your crass behavior i'm glad we were able to do this together